0: Alleluia, Alleluia with you and with your spirit a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew glory, glory to you Lord. Jesus said to his disciples you are the salt of the earth but a salt loses its taste with what can it be seasoned it is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot you are the light of the world A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor did they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand, for it gives light to all in the house, just so your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise So, a couple kind of housekeeping things to start off with. First of all, half the parish has not left. We just had fun night last night, so a lot of families that are usually the 11 have already been to Mass. The other is, I'm very grateful for the presence of Deacon Steve Tatz, who's with us this morning. Deacon Steve was ordained in the last class of deacons, and I'm kind of cycling several of them through here. We'll see if he passes. (laughs) Sticks and stones can break my bones, but... Oh, come on, that's baloney. Baloney, that's what I meant to say. It isn't, obviously, but what happened there is a sign of why that's a lie. Words can and do hurt us all the time. If I'd finished the sentence the way I wanted to, there'd be a letter to the bishop tomorrow. And that's because somebody's sensibilities would have been offended by a word that I used. So, like, you can, in fact, hurt people's feelings with your words. We do it all the time. What parent of a teenager hasn't had a door slammed in their face and an I hate you thrown at you once or twice? And it hurts, right? Words also build up. Think about the first time you said, I love you to someone and how much courage that took and how it changed the air in the room. Think for a minute, think for a minute about the worst name you've ever been called, the biggest insult you've ever gotten. I can still remember in sixth grade when my body had decided I needed deodorant before anybody had told me what it was. And I can still hear the cries of stinky in the locker room. I'm a little paranoid now. That's why I always smell like cologne. Think about the greatest compliment you've ever received. The kindest thing anyone's ever said to you. I remember... Shortly after I arrived here, a man whom I'd never seen before and haven't seen since pumped my hand at the back of the church and said, Father, he said, you actually believe all this stuff. I'm not sure he meant it as a compliment, but I sure took it like one. I remember the first time I was in Swahili-speaking Africa, as opposed to Hausa, which is where I'd spent more of my time before, they don't call their priests Father. So what what Father Nick is getting this week is not Father, it's Papa. And no one, I'd been called Father 10 years before this had happened, but nobody had ever called me Papa. I'm not sure I knew what it meant to be a priest until that day. So you see, words matter. And so, so, so God, right, the scripture tells us God speaks the world into existence with a word. We know that word, Jesus Christ, And so when the Word speaks words to us, like in the Sermon on the Mount, we better pay attention. And especially when He calls us names, which is exactly what He's doing in today's Gospel. He's calling us names. He's calling us salt and light. And so we should pay attention and make sure we understand exactly what He's on about. Salt, of course, meant a different thing in the ancient world than it does today. For most of us, Salt is, 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 is a condiment, right? It sits on our kitchen table or in a cabinet someplace. Maybe we've got a grinder if it's fancy. Maybe if we're real crunchy and a little wooky, we've got like salt lamps or something like that. That's because salt has always had this sort of um, ethereal quality to it. There's something special, almost magical about it, right? And, and so in the ancient world, salt was used for all kinds of things. It was primarily a preservative, right? You'd use it to salt meat so that meat would keep when you don't have refrigerators running around. It was an antiseptic. You'd rub just a little salt into a wound to make sure the wound didn't get infected. But you had to be careful because if you used too much salt, you could actually exacerbate the injury. Or if you over-salted the food, it wouldn't be preserved, just ruined. Salt's powerful, but it's also caustic. And so you've got to be careful with it. It's for this reason that salt was used even as currency, right? Our English word salary comes from sal, that is salt, because in the Roman army, it was used as the currency to pay soldiers. Salt matters immensely. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, we should pay attention. You are the light of the world. This one's a little bit different. And the difference is important to note at the outset. Elsewhere, Jesus identifies himself as the light of the world. And that's important, first of all, because the way we often interpret this passage, I certainly remember as a kid the way this was sort of passed on to us and like, you know, written over the door in locker rooms and stuff at Dowling. It was kind of like, you know, you are the light of the world. Let people see your gifts. You're so special. You're so great. Have you ever met me? I'm not that great. I sure wasn't in high school. That's baloney. You couldn't hang your hat on that, never mind your soul. This isn't Jesus just trying to make people feel good. Not that there's anything wrong with making people feel good, but that's clearly not what's happening here. And here's how we know. So, so these words pick up immediately on last week's gospel. You remember last week? The Beatitudes, right? So he's got a whole bunch of people up the mountain, and he's speaking to them, and they're, like, not in super shape, right? They're poor. They're bedraggled. They probably don't have much food. They, they're oppressed, right, because there's a foreign force that has taken over their country. Uh, they're limited in their freedoms. And he looks out at that group of people. So, like, I don't know if you emptied out the Bethel mission and had a sermon down on the square of the Capitol or something, that might be something like what's happening here. And he looks at those people and he says, blessed are you when you're poor. Are you kidding me? Ain't much fun being poor. No, he says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit and in life. The kingdom of heaven will be yours we're downtrodden, we're oppressed, there's other people controlling all of our lives. Blessed are you who are meek. Are you serious? It sucks being meek. No. Blessed are you when you're meek. You will inherit the earth. And so on. So he looks out at that group of people, and it's to those that he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You, he says... Are like me. Really? You look at God in the flesh, and apart from the fleshy bits, how on earth can I be like Him? Well, by relationship, right? Our relationship with Christ is what makes us more like Christ. We don't simply follow Christ in the way we might follow a, a guru or a teacher, a diet plan or lifestyle choice. No. No, no, we share in Christ's life, his own life. That's what baptism does for us initially. That's what Eucharist is meant to do week on week on week. So, 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 so this is far more than just an imitation of Christ. It's a share in his own life. And when we share in his life, we become ourselves light for the world, salt for the earth. We preserve things. We bring out flavors that were hidden that couldn't be sensed before. We shine light in dark places. We, we bring things to light that is to truth that can be spoken that otherwise could never be heard. But he doesn't say this to like a group of high school students about to run out onto a football field. He's not talking about trivial things here. He's talking about life things here, which is why these images are as caustic as they are comforting. You are the light of the world, he says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, and no one puts a bushel basket over a lamp. Now, we might think, oh, we put shades on all of our lamps today, basically, to diffuse the light. It's true. That is not what he's talking about. First of all, lamp here means open flame. Bushel baskets are made of wicker. What happens when you put wicker over an open flame? It burns it, right? And this is true for us. When we have the Christ life in us, when we're living this life seriously and intentionally and trying to get our act together, and we try and cover up the Christ life, we try and hide what God's doing in us, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get burned. Because that grace won't stay contained. It'll pop out one way or another. And if we don't do it on purpose, we do it by accident, oftentimes it gets pretty ugly. Sometimes I think when Christians represent ourselves especially poorly in the public square, it's not because we're actually mean-spirited. It's because we've kept so much inside that when it finally pops out, it's, it's all out of proportion. It's all messed up. If you've never spoken to anyone, like if you're, I'm going to pick a random age here, but like, I'm 40. We'll call it there, even. Even midway through sort of the spread that we've got here. If you're 40 and you've literally never talked to anybody about Jesus except somebody that you knew already was a follower, you're doing something wrong. You're doing something wrong. That doesn't mean we all got to be Bible beaters, but we have to be honest about the relationship that's most important in our lives. Most of us wouldn't go to work or the store or the bar or the coffee shop or wherever we hang out and hide from the other people there the fact that we're married. In fact, if we did hide that fact, we'd probably feel guilty, and rightly so, because that relationship's supposed to be central, most important in our life, right? Well, this relationship came even before your marriage. If you're married, it's only in light of him. How could you hide it? How could you keep from seeing, as the hymn says? How could, you, how could you stop yourself from sharing what God has done in you? And if God has looked at you and your brokenness, if God has looked at you and your suffering and he said, you are blessed, this suffering itself can be light for the world, what right do you have to withhold that from other people? This week, the Holy Father was in the Congo and in South Sudan, both countries ostensibly Christian and which have been ravaged by war as long as just about anybody here has been alive. A couple of years ago, the leaders of the South Sudan uh, came to visit the Holy Father in Rome, and he shocked everyone. Because these two guys, I'm not supposed to talk this openly, but I don't know, are they going to fire me? They're thugs. Warlords. They're real bad dudes. They might have the title of president or vice president or general or something, but they're not. Like, they're, they're, they're just, they're, they're bad, bad, bad men who are waging a bad, bad, bad war. And the Holy Father looks at these two guys, Really, sincerely wicked men. And he kneels down and kisses their feet. He kneels down and he kisses their feet. Now, he knew this would get received wrong by people, right? He knew that some people would say, well, look, he's, he's approving of or countenancing the disaster in, in, the, in their home country. That wasn't what he was doing at all. These guys are both supposedly Catholic. And he's doing what fathers and mothers have done since the beginning of time, which is they're willing to embarrass themselves for the sake of shaming their children into good behavior. If the Pope of the Roman church kneels down and kisses your feet, you've either done something real good or real bad. Probably don't aim for the Pope kissing your feet is the answer. Well, this week he went to visit them on their home turf. And instead of him... Bending low to kiss their feet, their people came forward to offer the Holy Father gifts. There were three gifts that especially touched me and many others who were watching. The first was a machete. A young boy, about 16, brought forward a machete that he laid down before the Holy Father and that the Holy Father gestured should be placed in front of the altar. That machete was used to murder every member of that boy's family. They were able to recover it after the attack. And he laid it down and he he said, as as, as I lay down this weapon of war, I pledge myself to peace. And I pray for the grace to forgive those who took away my family and that God could forgive them too. Then there was a priest who held up an axe and he only had two fingers to hold it up with because the others had been cut off by the axe. And he asked the members of his, of his parish that were there, he said, stand up, wave your, wave your hands so the Holy Father can see you. And, the, and they all raised their hands, and most of them didn't have hands. They'd been lost in the attack from that axe. And the priest, the priest prayed that he would have the grace to remember the men that had maimed him and his people every time he came to the altar. Not in hatred, but in love. And then there was the woman who brought forward two little girls, twins, to be blessed by the Holy Father. And she laid down a mat, the mat on which those girls had been conceived against her will. And nobody knew what to do or to say. So the Pope simply wept. There's salt there. There's light there. Because those are the people that he's speaking to. And even though most of us might not have hurts that have cut quite that deep, even though most of us might not have injuries or wounds or sins that sear quite so profoundly, every one of us has some dark corner of our soul not yet illumined by the Christ light. And if you don't let he who is the light of the world shine in every corner of you, you don't stand a chance of shining light for anybody else. And if you're not willing to let Christ season your soul and bring out those flavors that you didn't even know were there, you don't stand a chance of seasoning anyone else's. But if you're willing to be brave, like those men and women of the Congo and Sudan, if you're willing to make a fool of yourself, like Pope Francis, if you're willing just to take God at his word, then he will not only make new realities in you by that word, he'll give you words himself. If you bring those dark and hidden and broken bits, and you lay them down at the altar today, then he will do what he always does. He'll transform them and return them to you changed so that you return to the world changed so that through you, he too might change the world.